With the approach of the Thanksgiving season, we pause now to reflect upon the meaning and import of one of Christianity's most important celebrations. A roll covenant reading coming from Psalm 50. Psalm 50, I'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 15. Verse 1 through verse 15. By inspiration of God, Asaph writes, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken, and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls? Or drink the blood of goats. Offer unto God thanksgiving. And pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify me. Paul writing by the same spirit to the elder at the church of Ephesus, Timothy and 2 Timothy in chapter 3. The first five verses As Paul details the perils of apostasy, he tells young Timothy this, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Thus far as the ring of God's most holy, inerrant, and finally authoritative word, the grass withers, the flower thereof fades away, but the word of God stands forever. And by his holy word is the gospel presented unto us again this day. It is no accident that each year our nation, America itself, pauses to give thanks to the God of heaven, the God of heaven and earth, even as the pilgrims did, recognizing the mercy of God's provisions. Now, even now, in the great apostasy of our nation, 
even now that sentiment reverberates when we even hear some of the godless congressional legislators and executive rulers pause to celebrate a holiday that they really know nothing about, giving thanks to the God that they constantly, without any kind of resolve, blaspheme repeatedly by their evil legislative and political policies. And yet they want to celebrate Thanksgiving. Now while they pause to hypocritically give thanks, they are at the same time seeking to abolish his holy recognition in so many other areas of life. Today's indoctrination system of the public schools impresses upon its unsuspecting students and parents, these victims of the school system, that the pilgrims were giving thanks to the Indians and not to the God of heaven and earth for their provisions. They were thanking Pocahontas and and the tribal leaders of the indigenous people, and not God. In the state's effort to be God, this is just another attempt to remove God from the memory of America and their providential American history. Now, once God is is removed from the history of America, the state believes that it can then be set up to be as God, sovereignly ruling not only men's lives, but their conscience and their history as well. And so the slogan becomes, give thanks to the state in the name of Caesar. In other words, the state has suggested that Thanksgiving is simply a day of appreciation for those things that we have as human beings and as American citizens. But what is so mind-bending and mind-boggling is while the modern state gives thanks for the glory of the American experiment, they at the same time are actively trying to destroy it, at least in its original intention. In the new America, there is no room for God. That's just the way it is. Because of the churches remaining silent, there's really no longer any room for the God of Scripture. Oh, there's, there's room for all kinds of gods. But in the new America, there's no room for the God of Scripture or the work of God's providence, either in the recognition of His establishment of this nation or the sustaining of our lives by His direct decree of mercy. There's no room any longer for God. And so once again, the state has sought to remove all remembrance of God from the American mind. The state is seeking to build an atheistic state. There's no mistaking about it. The state is seeking to build an atheistic state, which according to Groen van Prinsterer, is a revolutionary state, because an atheistic state always is a revolutionary state, and that revolutionary state is poised to destroy all vestiges of biblical Christianity. Make no mistake, that is the plan. And yet, the fact being, on Friday, September 25th, 1789, one day after the first House of Representatives voted to recommend, in its exact wording, the First Amendment, a New Jersey congressman, Elias Baudinois, proposed that the House and Senate jointly request that President George Washington proclaim a day of thanksgiving for the, quote, many signal favors of Almighty God. He said that he could, quote, not think of letting the session pass without offering to all the citizens of the United States of joining with one voice in returning to Almighty God their sincere thanks 
for the many blessings he had poured down upon them, end quote. I doubt you'll ever hear that in Congress today. Thanksgiving is to be a celebration of thanks and praise to God, not to the Indians and definitely not to the state and not to the things that we have acquired and amassed ourselves with. And, and even today, when we ask our children around the Thanksgiving feasting table, what are you thankful for? To say, I think I'm thankful for my toys. I'm thankful for these things. No, this has to be corrected. That is not what we are to be thankful for. And while the majority, and while the majority of the American people rejoice in the things that they have, even the Christians rejoice in the things that they have, without so much as thanking God for the things that they have, or the God of Providence who has given them life so they can enjoy the things that they have, life and breath, and the freedoms to enjoy the things that they have, to get the possessions that they have, they're actually using their possessions to amuse themselves to death. They're using their possessions to replace God. I'm thankful for my toys. I'm thankful for my big screen TV. I'm thankful for my car. I'm thankful for this, that. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with American Christianity. America and its institutional apostasy has forgotten the God who made it the nation that it is or was. What Americans and all those that forget God have failed to understand is that to forget God is a death sentence, whether it's individually or by a family or by a nation. And when a nation forgets God, that is the end of the nation. Consider the word of the Lord concerning all those that forget God. Psalm 9:17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That's where we're headed. The wicked shall be turned to hell and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 50, verse 22. Now consider this, ye that forget God. Let they tear you in pieces and there shall be none to deliver. Job 8, 13 through 15. So are the paths of all those that forget God. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off, and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. However, it was not the 1789 proclamation that began these future Thanksgiving commemorations to God a sensitivity to the providential blessings of the Almighty began years before in America. It wasn't George Washington or Congress on that September 25th that began this idea of giving thanks to God. As early as 1564, a small colony of French Huguenots established a colony in Jacksonville, Florida under their leader, René de... Lanonier, on June 30th of that year, the entire colony of Huguenots joined together to give thanks to God by singing a psalm of thanksgiving and prayer, beseeching him to continue his goodness toward them. In 1610, after one of the harshest winters that the Jamestown colonists had to endure, during which many died of starvation, the colonists called for a celebration of Thanksgiving. You think about that. Even in their time of great suffering and sorrow and loss, they still call for a time of Thanksgiving and praise to God. 
the colony had been reduced from the original 409 people. 409 members of that colony. At the end of that winter, only 60 survived. And yet, they still gave thanks. We read of no murmurings. We read of no complaining. Sure, there was grief. Sure, there was sorrow. They gave thanks to God for His great mercy on the 60. Gary DeMar comments on this incredible testimony. He says this, quote, Extreme hardship did not deter the survivors from turning to God in thanksgiving. The colonists prayed for help that finally arrived by a ship filled with food and supplies from England. They held a prayer service to give thanks. By 1619, after 38 colonists landed at a place called Berkeley 100 in Virginia, a commemoration of a yearly Thanksgiving celebration was proclaimed. And so on December 4th, 1619, Thanksgiving Day was proclaimed as a formal yearly celebration within their charter by these words, quote, We ordain that the day of our ship's arrival in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. These Christian colonists, pilgrims and Puritans, sought to make Thanksgiving a holy day unto the Lord each and every year. It was not so much to be a secular national holiday. It was never intended to be a secular holiday. But an explicitly Christocentric holy day. These men and women were full of the praises of God and rendered to Him the glory and thanksgiving that was His due. Today, however, there is only blasphemy and contempt for God's holy day of thanksgiving. And that even among His people. Now, if you remember, in the not too distant past, the first attack against the history of Christendom in America was upon the Ten Commandments monument. Then it was on Christmas then upon the historical statutes and anything that reminded Americans of their history, good or bad. And whatever you think about Christmas, be it Christian or pagan, or the historical statues, the secularists seeking to erase history so they could plot a new future saw these as just another way to reconstruct the future. And this was a shameless attempt at what the wicked are calling the Great Reset. Their mission was to cancel the Christian culture. That's why it's called cancel culture. It's not just canceling culture. It's canceling the Christian culture. It's canceling Christian history by substituting everything ungodly and ugly and evil into the realm of the norm of our America. And so, remove the Ten Commandments and you get a reestablishment of rights and wrongs according to a humanistic agenda. So you remove the Ten Commandments and you can reestablish right and wrong according to a humanistic agenda. Remove Christmas and you can erase the memory of the coming king and his dominion kingdom. You can also erase the idea that those with child who are pregnant with children should be looked at as holy, as, as, as glorious, as wonderful because that's how Christ came into the world. So remove Christmas and you erase the memory of the coming incarnate king and his dominion kingdom. And that's not what the state wants. They don't want the dominion kingdom. They want to be the dominion kingdom. Remove the icons of history, then you can reshape it. You forget the past, you get to control the future. 
So if you can get people to forget their past, you can control their future. The removal of all of these iconic symbols is nothing less than an assault upon the nation and upon the people's psyche. So this begs the question, why is Thanksgiving such an important holiday and why should we fight to keep its original meaning alive? You know, during the Christmas season, usually the churches pause and they give all of these incredible uh, celebrations. They preach a whole month of Christmas sermons. And what about the Thanksgiving? Is that not a Christian holiday even as much as Christmas? So why is Thanksgiving or why should Thanksgiving be such an important holiday or given the importance that it, it should have? And why should we keep its original meaning alive? It is precisely because Thanksgiving is a public declaration of God's goodness upon our nation and the lives of the people of God. Consider Noah Webster, what he said in his definition of Thanksgiving. Quote, A public celebration of divine goodness. Also, a day set apart for religious services, especially to acknowledge the goodness of God, either in any remarkable deliverance from calamities or danger, or in the ordinary dispensation of his bounties, the ordinary dispensation of his bounties, the practice of appointing an annual thanksgiving originated in New England. Now, if you do not have a Noah Webster dictionary, you will not read that in your new Merriam-Webster's. Just another way to erase history. Consider the following questions. What is the biblical definition concerning the act of giving thanks? Second, to whom are we to be thankful? What are we to be thankful for? When are we to show forth thanksgiving? Why are we to be thankful? In other words, what is the root of thanksgiving? And finally, how do we show that we are sincerely thankful? I think these questions need to be asked each and every year when we come against the celebration of thanksgiving. So I consider first. The biblical definition of thanksgiving. The word actually means to hold out one's hand in loving adoration, in worship, and in praise. It is a submissive act of the will, acknowledging a kindness done which was unwarranted. We give thanks for a kindness done that was unwarranted, but nevertheless it was extended to us without any strings attached in love. The Hebrew root word for thanksgiving is actually the word which means praise. And so to render thanks is also to praise God, to render praise. In addressing the hypocrites in Psalm 50, Asaph warns them that thanksgiving is actually part of the duty of man, not just the Christian man, but all men. Notice what he says in verse 14, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Everyone's included in that statement. The overall message of Psalm 50 is actually a rebuke upon the religious hypocrite who is determined to act out various religious rituals, going to church, doing devotions, reading the scriptures, doing all the conservative things, but refuses to sincerely, honestly, and humbly offer to God the thanksgiving glory and praise due his name. We take, but we don't give thanks. And that's why, even in my home, which was not necessarily a Christian home growing up, because it was a different era. It was a different mindset. When I grew up, brothers and sisters, when I grew up, it was a different world. And if I didn't say thank you, 
I was chastised. And that's why today you hear mothers and fathers say, now what do you say? And this is why in Scripture we're reminded over and over because we're just children. We forget to say thank you. Asaph is warning the hypocrite to mend his ways by reflecting upon the unseen Savior who is only seen by the eye of faith. While the hypocrite is able to perform outward works in a show of religious observances, he is unable to sincerely manufacture gratitude for the work of grace. If he does in any way speak of thanks, it's without sincerity. The focus is not on God. It's not on thanking God. It's about the self. Notice what Luke says in Luke 18 as Christ gives this parable. In verse 10 and following, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. One a religious observer, the other one a sinner. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee. He wasn't thanking God. He was just thanking himself. I thank God that I am not like other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican over here. You see, this man verbally gave thanks, but his heart was far from the love of God and love toward his neighbor, rendering his thanksgiving unacceptable even damnable, because it wasn't given sincerely. The unregenerate is unable to be sincerely thankful for the various providences that have blessed him and guided him throughout his life simply because he has not actually experienced the work of grace. This is why it's so wonderful when you fall into diverse temptations and trials and sicknesses and then you realize that your only hope of deliverance from those trials is the grace of God then you're thankful. But how quickly we forget. So this hypocrite, this Pharisee, thought that he was special in some way. Psalm 50 is a wake-up call for all of us who have reaped an abundance of God's blessings and yet remain in a posture of murmuring and discontentment. We take for granted the things given. It's only when those things are taken from us, like a faithful church, or a son, or a daughter, or a father, or a mother, that we lament and we pine away. Asaph identifies the hypocrite as one that is deceived by keeping up outward ceremonies. In verses 9 through 13, he is called the legalist. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats of thy foals, God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I'm not going to tell you. What are you giving me that I haven't given you first? Do you wake up every morning and thank God that you didn't die in your sleep? Oh, but I'm only 30. Yeah? Read the paper of late? There were people dying at 30, at 20, at 40, dropping like flies for whatever reason, but it's all because of the providential orchestration of God. So in these verses, Asaph identifies the evangelical moralist who is actually an antinomian. He's, he, he, he's not a law-abiding Christian. He relates to the covenant of grace. Oh, he wants God's grace. But he's void of true love toward God Because he's not thankful for God. And that is the test of sincere love and appreciation toward God. A thankful heart. You really love God? 
Children, you really love your mother and your father. You should be thankful for them and you should tell them that. Asaph continues. He says, But unto the wicked God says, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing you hate instruction and castest my words behind thee. Asaph tells both of these hypocrites in verse 14 to offer unto God thanksgiving. Change your attitude and pay thy vows unto the Most High. The problem you see with the hypocrite is that he holds onto a false hope and a false confidence that he is one of God's elect, and yet he's not thankful. How can you think that you're one of God's people and you're not thanking God throughout the whole day? I'm thankful I could digest solid food. Because if not for the orchestration of God's holy providence upon my life, maybe I couldn't digest solid food, and there are people that cannot digest solid food. Now the obvious answer to whom we should be thankful to, of course, is God. Not to the Indians, not to your mother and father, although that's good too, because they're put in their place to care for you. So it's good to give thanks. We are not to merely give thanks to the things or the situations And that's sometimes where we fail too. So thankful I got that job. Okay, well, God was behind it and you should be thankful for that. But, But that's not the bottom line. We are to give thanks to those situations and those things. But we are to be more careful to give thanks to God who freely gives us all things through Jesus Christ. For without Jesus Christ, we get none of these things. Because through Jesus Christ, God orchestrates all situations for our benefit, but therefore His ultimate glory. We keep missing the mark. Yes, give thanks to things and situations, but don't forget to give thanks to God through Jesus Christ who made it possible for those things and situations. Number three, what in particular should men in general be thankful for? Well, it's only the sheer mercy of God that unregenerate men are not immediately dispensed with and sent headlong into the abyss of God's fiery furnace of hell. And I wish sometimes that would happen. And then I realized that I should be the first one to go. Not only does God not send the reprobate immediately into hell, he causes rain to fall upon them in the same way as he does to the saints. Luke 6.35 But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. He's kind to the unthankful and the evil. Now, he hates those who are unthankful, but yet he's kind to them. He doesn't destroy them immediately. The general mercy of God in his long suffering should be enough to cause men to cry out in humble thanksgiving and praise for the time God has allowed them on this earth to enjoy the beauties of the earth and life itself. And yet, as a result of the hardness of men's heart, they remain unthankful. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And that's what Paul was referring to. He may actually be referring to Psalm 50 and the religious hypocrite when he wrote to Timothy. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Denying the grace that's given, which results in thanksgiving. 
Number four, when are men, especially Christians, to show forth thanksgiving? Well, Paul cuts through all the confusion. When he tells the saints at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, how many things? Everything. In everything. Good things? Yes. Bad things? Yes. Horrible things? Absolutely. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. It's the will of God. Are we not to desire the will of God? Did not Jesus teach us, not my will, but thy will be done? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in everything? Drawing from the law of God in Leviticus 7 verse 12, Asaph reminds the hypocrite that a thankful posture, and that's why you're thankful in everything, because you have a thankful posture. Your whole nature is I'm just so, just so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm giddy. I'm, every every Christmas we watch the, the Christmas Carol. Every Christmas we watch, and, and 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 that last part, it just kills me. I could watch it a thousand times. When he's converted, when he's finally converted, when Scrooge is finally converted, and he was, he's so thankful. He he said, "I'm as giddy as a schoolboy." And he, he, he didn't know what to do next. He was so thankful. I mean, it just kills you to see it. That's the posture of a thankful heart. Because a thankful posture is an essential component when offering up the required ceremonial sacrifices of peace. And a thankful posture does not exhibit itself only when things are going well. It deals in everything, in a thankful way. Now, you don't have to be happy about it, but you have to recognize God is doing something. I don't know what it is, but I know that all things work together for good to those who are the called according to God, according to His purpose. And I'm not going to argue with God. You know, I, I, I stopped arguing with God a long time ago, folks. You get nowhere and nothing but grief. Thanksgiving is to be rendered to God for everything and at every occasion. Thanksgiving is the posture of the true saint in every season. A sincere heart of thanksgiving was what yoked the sacrifice of peace with the people and which made the sacrifice acceptable. Without without thanksgiving, the sacrifice was not able to be accepted. And this is why when Jesus did anything, he gave thanks to the Father. Father, I thank thee. At the Last Supper, he was thanking God. It was his posture. Note how the psalmist connects thanksgiving with the payment of vows in verse 14 and 15. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. The rendering of sincere thanksgiving established a spirit of gratitude which was required in payment of Israel's oath. Biblical vows if they were to be valid, had to be voluntary. God is calling on Israel to voluntarily praise and give him thanks for his fidelity and grace. And that vow was a promise to give thanks in everything and in every situation. So the only thing that we can give God, that God does not say, this is mine, is thanks. You want to give God something? Thank him for everything that he has given you. Because thanksgiving is to be a voluntary offering. This is the intent of the apostle when he counsels the Thessalonians to give thanks for everything and in every situation. 
The Reverend George Barlow comments, he says, quote, It is our duty to be ever grateful. The Christian can meet with nothing in the way of duty that is not a cause for thanksgiving, whatever suffering may be entailed. When we think of the ceaseless stream of God's mercies, think about that phrase. The ongoing ceaseless stream, that, that river of God's mercies daily, we shall have ample reasons for uninterrupted thanksgiving. I don't know, beautiful way to put that. But because we believe that we deserve something now as the children of God, we leave off thanksgiving. But remember, we deserve nothing. It's all of grace. Observe the connection the apostle makes between prayer and thanksgiving when writing to the Philippians and the Colossians. Notice, Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. That word there, careful, means anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. And that's our natural position, isn't it? We're afraid about everything. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, notice the connection, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Notice that connection. With thanksgiving. Colossians 2.7 rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same, notice again the connection, with thanksgiving. The Reverend George Barlow again observes, he says, quote, the secret of a happy life is in harmony with the divine will. It is the will of God that his people should be rejoicing, praying, grateful. And this will is revealed by Christ as declared in his gospel, as received in his church, and as observed by those in communion with him. What a revelation is this, not of an arbitrary demand of the impossible state of the affections toward God, but a beautiful and conciliatory discovery of the largeness of his love and of the blessed ends for which he has redeemed us in Christ. The will of God supplies constant material for gratitude and praise. These are the three marks of a genuine Christian. Number one, to rejoice in the mercy of God. Number two, to be fervent in prayer. And number three, to give thanks to God in all things. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets have lifted up the name of the Lord in thanksgiving and praise. Psalm 26, 6. I will wash my hands in innocy. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Psalm 69, 30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. When you enter into the sanctuary of the Lord, what are you entering in with? Well, here is what your commandment is. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 and verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. By being thankful, we bless his name. Again, Psalm 107, verse 22. Psalm 116, 17. Psalm 118, verse 1. 
Psalm 147.7 And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will give thanks unto the Lord for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. And then Isaiah and Jeremiah also speak in the same vein. Isaiah 51, 3 and following. Notice what he says. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Jeremiah thirty nineteen, And out of them shall proceed. Out of who? Out of the saints of God shall proceed. Can you guess? Thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry and I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. What all of these Old Testament prophets were praising and thanking God for was not only what he had done in their history, but moreover, in anticipation of what he was going to do through the Lord Jesus Christ in all of history. And so when Paul speaks of the giving of thanks, he often focuses upon the aspect of the spiritual and temporal victory effectuated by the resurrected Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, here's why, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Revelations 4.9 and 11.17. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, and that even, even God himself gives thanks unto himself, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. That's what's happening around the throne, giving thanks to God. Now, why are we to be thankful? The fifth point. In other words, what is the root of thanksgiving? Well, consider for a moment the root of thanksgiving. The root of a thankful heart is love. It's love toward God. When the heart is filled with love and devotion to God, it's reflected in thanksgiving. This type of love focuses upon God and His redemption through the crucified and risen Lord Christ. Love toward God is expressed in thanksgiving. There's no other way about it. If you really love God, you will be thankful for everything. You won't be complaining. You won't be angry at everything. If you do not sincerely love God, you will not have a sincerely thankful heart. And if you, and, and what will happen is you only give Thanks when things are good. But it's hypocrisy. And if you don't have a thankful heart, you may not really be a Christian. And that's as simple as that. And for the record, to reiterate, a thankful heart does not show itself in giving thanks once in a while over the dinner table or in private devotion or when things go well, but rather the thankful heart is filled with thanksgiving all the time. I challenge you. How often do you talk to God? In thanksgiving and in, in appreciation and in, in, in telling him and talking with him like you talk to your spouse, or you talk to your friend. Thanksgiving is the exercise of love. It's the exercise of faith for all that God is and in all that God does. 
The sincere contemplation of the mercy of God results in a brokenness to the point of obedience, praising and thanking God and asking God to help you in all things that you can show a thankful heart, that you can be more loving, that you can be more obedient. And this is to be expanded further to include a love toward neighbor and to our brothers and sisters in Christ, which Jesus declares as the second great commandment. And this is how we show God that we are thankful. Now this commandment teaches us that the hypocrite's thanksgiving, if he shows any sign of being thankful at all, only goes as far as himself and not to his neighbor. The great Puritan Thomas Vincent explains that it is love toward God that excites all other reactions. And in this case, thanksgiving and love toward our neighbor. He lists eight considerations for the Christian to contemplate, which can be used to encourage and excite the heart and mind to love and give thanks. So, here's your list of application. Number one, thanksgiving out of a pure heart, thanksgiving out of a pure loving heart is the Christian duty. It's your duty to give thanks. Not something that God says, well, whenever you feel like it, go right ahead. It is the will of God and thus it is the commandment of the sovereign king that you have proclaimed that you follow. That you have said that you've humbled yourself before. And when you would give him thanks, you are blessing him. By thanking him, you're blessing him. Secondly, thanksgiving is a privilege. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He's giving you the privilege of thanking him for what he has given you. A duty, a privilege. Those who honestly and sincerely thank God do so out of the Spirit's prodding and it is of the highest privilege to be moved by the Spirit of God. So whenever we thank God, it's because He has given us something that was not part of our being to begin with. The privilege is that we have been given something from God. Think about it. You've been given something from God. I mean, you want to think about it in the most physical way. Look at your children. You've been giving your child. Those from God. Well, just because of your union. But what about the blood of Christ? The precious blood of the Savior given to you. That's a privilege. So you think about it. God has given you something that you didn't have before, and moreover, that you never deserved in the first place. A heart to love Him. A heart to thank Him. A heart to praise Him. And a heart and a mind to pray to Him. Thirdly, It is a great honor to be able to thank God. We have God as our God. We have God as our Father. He is also the universal King of the universe who puts down kings and and raises up kings. He gives only to His own, conferring upon them a great honor, which in turn thanks Him or should thank Him for His mercy. So, we have to honor Him Because he has honored us. So it is a great honor to be able to thank God. Fourthly, there's wisdom in rendering thanksgiving to God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that fear is an honoring and awe-inspiring aspect of the saint. This impresses upon the mind of the Christian exactly who God is. And what is commanded of him for his own benefit. And so it is in the saint's best interest. It is his wisdom to give thanks to the Lord. Notice what the psalmist says in 105.1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. 
Fifth point, there is an excellency in thanking God. Knowing that God is well pleased with thanking Him, that knowledge in and of itself is an excellency of knowledge and understanding. Paul tells the Philippians in Philippians 3, 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Sixthly, there is also the necessity of giving thanks. The rendering of thanksgiving is a character dynamic of the regenerate. A character dynamic. It is a necessary attribute for the Christian without which one remains doubtful of his conversion. Number seven, there's also a usefulness in the giving of thanks. It reminds us that God is generous because we are needy. We have to remember, we are needy people. Okay, who you are, what you own, what you have, we're needy people. We must ever be so conscientious of our need for charity, for that grace. We must keep it at the utmost in our mind that we need God. And by accepting the poverty of our body, soul, and spirit, in light of that grace that has been given to us, we, out of sincere necessity, should be thanking God. Because the minute He pulls back His blessing, the minute God pulls back any part of His grace, we dissolve into nothing. And finally, thanksgiving is, is a delightful practice. Because God is well pleased and we are, we are sincerely thankful that He has looked upon us as our Father and, and helped us along when He has done these things. The Christian should naturally take delight in thanking God, knowing that God delights in us. We are sincerely grateful. So it is a duty, a privilege, an honor, a wisdom, an excellency, a necessity, useful, and delightful. As the Apostle declares, and as all of us should likewise declare, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. So as you sit around the dinner table this Thanksgiving, reflect upon the holiness of the day and thank God for all of His mercy. May the Christian community take a renewed consideration as to the importance of giving thanks always And as the Apostle says, for this is the will of God concerning you. And this we shall do, God helping us unto the praise of the glory of his grace. Amen.